the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back. Wednesday, March 16th, 2022. Coming to you live from the Guns Etc. Studios. I am Seth Liebson. A bit of a confession, and maybe the prejudice or distaste comes from my professions and hobbies as a communicator or writer, but I've, I've never understood why the human being as a character, an entity of reason, who relies on reason, who is distinguished from other forms of animal life as possessing reason and speech. I've never understood why pictures impact humans more than appeals to reason and rhetoric in its or their best sense and senses. Aristotle, the first political scientist, tells us in his first chapter of his book on politics that this is the distinguishing difference between humans and other life forms, reason and speech, that leads humans to alone have any sense of good and evil or just and unjust and the like. And the association of living beings who have this sense of reason and speech then makes a family and a state. We've spoken about that importance before, but it is speech, the word used in an appeal to reason, a rational thought, that Aristotle tells us how to distinguish the expedient and the inexpedient, and therefore likewise the just and the unjust. I was thinking about all this given the gallons of ink spilt and spent documenting the horror of what is taking place in Ukraine and how in his speech to Congress today, Vladimir Zelensky showed a video that had evidently, based on my calls and correspondences, changed a lot of minds. Is it that we have less trust in words than images? Then General Dwight Eisenhower and General George Patton ordered pictures be taken at the Ordorf Buchenwald concentration camp when they liberated it in 1945, as they were concerned too many in the world or in history would not believe what they saw, including, as Eisenhower put it, man's inhumanity and cruelty to man on a scale never before imagined. He said he wanted photographs so that somebody so that someday nobody could deny what he saw as his words propaganda. The idea that a picture is worth a thousand words has been with us a long time since the early part of the last century, and it was created the phrase as we have come to know it was created by an advertising corporation executive to better sell things. It was uh, and of a commercial origin. And still yet we can think of ads where really the words or wording were better than the pictures. But something about a picture moves we humans more than words do. And this would also explain why autocrats try to ban media in war zones or why the Biden administration banned the Fox News drones that were showing the problems and crises at our southern border a few months back. Those videos did exist, of course, for a time before the ban, and yet, did they move anyone or any policy? Kamala Harris famously told Lester Holt last year when he asked her why she hadn't visited our border. She said, and I haven't been to Europe either, so what? Well, she's been to Europe now a few times, saying stupid things like Ukraine is a NATO member, which the White House has scrubbed from the officially released transcript of her remarks. 
But the imagery that is moving people in regard to Russia's atrocities and violation of the border of Ukraine did not so move anyone here about the violation of our border and sovereignty and safety or that of the victims of exploitation and trafficking. Yes, of course, these things are not the same imagery by legions of enormity, but it is curious what moves and tugs the heartstrings. Over 100,000 drug overdose deaths, the majority from drugs coming across our border, moves less than the atrocities in Ukraine. In his book, The Image, the great historian Daniel Borston writes, quote, The making of illusions which flood our experiences has become the business of America, some of its most honest and most necessary and most respectable business. He goes on to write, and this was all the way back in the 1960s, he goes on to write, quote, What ails us most is not what we have done with Americans, but what we have substituted for America. We suffer primarily not from our vices or our weaknesses, but from our illusions. We are haunted not by reality, but by those images we have put up in place of reality, close quote. Now, bear with here, <clears throat> because this is the root of the root and the bud of the bud. Dr. Borston puts it this way, quote, The disproportion between what an informed citizen needs to know and what he can know is ever greater. <clears throat> the disproportion grows with the increase of the official's powers of concealment and contrivance. The news gatherers need to select, invent, and plan correspondingly increases. Close quote. So we are ever increasingly governed by what the media wants us to be moved by. What it decides or conceals or contrives should be important to us. Tyrants may want to ban media to conceal war crimes, but what of purported non-tyrants that want to ban media to conceal facts that might otherwise demand judgments and solutions? The process of alteration was not confined to only newspapers, but to all kinds of documentary evidence and film throughout history. And certainly George Orwell writes about that in 1984, usually at the behest of the party, capital P, party. Now, my guess, and it's only a guess, is Joe Biden and the administration did not want Zelensky's film shown today as it has unveiled a truth of the enormity of violence unleashed on Ukraine civilians that President Biden seems unable to do anything about except elevate and accelerate his condemnations of Russia. He gave a small speech today, Biden did, and took no questions, coldly. So really one of the few differences between the sovereignty of Ukraine and the United States to this president is that the vice president will be dispatched to the former and not the latter, and the president's rhetoric will also be on behalf of the former and not the latter. Yes, again, I know, it's not the same thing. It doesn't have the same geopolitical consequences, and it isn't the same level of volume or violence. But there is no shortage of that here, and the oath to uphold the Constitution is to preserve and defend and protect us, not people in other countries. Yes, moral obligations attach to the morally and militarily powerful. We cannot engage in plural ignorance or kitty genovese ethics. But shouldn't that attach first here, then elsewhere? Leo Tolstoy, if I can quote him, says everyone wants to change the world, nobody wants to change himself. And that should be considered in an extrapolated sense. How do you try to change the world by showing more concern about others' borders and lives without doing the far easier and nearer thing about changing your own people's country 
and policies. I'm not counseling inaction or no action in defending Ukraine or any ally or stopping inhumane depredations or civilization abuse, but I do often wonder what the mood of this country would be about institutions and organizations like Nike or Colin Kaepernick and other so-called American corporations and the NBA. I wonder what it would be if we had video images out of Xinjiang province, China, where what is taking place in real time right now comes as close to what Dwight Eisenhower saw in 1945 as anything the world has seen since then. Here's just a little about what the New York Times reported from there two years ago. Quote, the students booked their tickets home at the end of the semester, hoping for a relaxing break after exams and a summer of happy reunions with family in China's far west. Instead, they would soon be told that their parents were gone, relatives had vanished, and neighbors were missing, all of them locked up in an expanding network of detention camps built to hold Muslim ethnic minorities. Children saw their parents taken away. Students wondered who would pay their tuition and crops could not be planted or harvested for lack of manpower, the report notes. Yet officials were directed to tell people who complained to be grateful for the Communist Party's help and to remain quiet, close quote. I could go on. Lest anyone be tempted, though, to follow the stupid line that we care about Ukraine because they are white, let me tell you that's absurd. Did we care about the Somalis and lose Americans on their behalf because they were white? Or twice going to war against Iraq because Saddam's victims in Kuwait and in his own country were white? How about in Afghanistan? We went there because they were white? Nonsense. We dismiss the concerns about China for two reasons. A, it is a communist power, and there is a lot of sympathy for that movement. Look at how insouciant this country is when it learns of such communist organizations here in America as exist under our noses at most of our universities. But really, more importantly, it's B, because it would counter the narrative that virtue signaling corporations and entities from the NBA to Nike to Colin Kaepernick's anti-racist campaign are all financed and dependent on covering up China's abuse of racism and civilization, of race and civilization. You don't bite the hand that feeds you even when the food is scrubbed and sanitized once it comes from the toxic tree of inhumanity. So what will be done about Russia and Ukraine right now? Now that the evidence of words and reportage has been complemented by that which should propel its urgency 1,000-fold with video pictures? I obviously don't know. But that is not the problem. The problem is our president does not know. As I've said again and again, he'd better watch his rhetoric because as he increasingly ramps it up, he increasingly sets up expectations. The expectations are high now, maybe at their height, and the president listeth toward incomprehension and inaction. After having raised the rhetoric to the height it is now, having set the expectations he cannot meet and cannot justify as to why he can or cannot meet them. What we have, it is sad to say, is a country better than its leadership. And if I may take a page from the liberal world order advocates, what we have now, too, it is sad to say, is a, peop is a people in other parts of the world that is better than this country's leadership. That is a frightening conclusion, or it should be. Shakespeare put it that some people are born great, some people achieve greatness, and some people have greatness thrust upon them. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were not born leaders. 
they do not seem to be on their way to achieving a record of great leadership. But the Times demand, as the evidence here and abroad demands, that America be America. And for that to happen, America requires leadership. The world is a dangerous place, Daniel Patrick Moynihan famously remarked once. You bet it is. And so too is America. Our enemies know this, of course. I don't know if our leadership does. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, coming to you live from the Guns Etc. studios. Let me put in a uh, thankful, grateful word to our uh, producer pro temp today. That is Chris Llewellyn. He is uh, usually the vice president of all things important. He is my boss, and uh, it's great to have him in the producer's chair today. Bill is off today. He'll be back tomorrow. Chris, thank you for everything. Thanks for being such a good boss, and thanks for being such a good producer pro tem. Appreciate having you here. We'll catch up on air maybe a little bit later. Let me go to Mike and Carefree real quick. Hi, Mike. Hi, Seth. Th- thanks for taking my call. You betcha. How are you? Good. Uh, you know, I, I, it, it strikes me that, you know, the photograph is always the medium that works or a painting in a Did I lose you, buddy? league people, the great view of the world. But you can't look away from a photograph and believe that cars drive on unicorn platus. There is no, there is no violence, and so forth. And, and, and this has been shown historically when Emmett Till's mother made made them have an open coffin yep. when they had a napalm baby in Vietnam. And this is an example of where you can you can defeat the lie of words mean what I want them to mean by showing someone a picture. You can, and I think another argument, Mike, is that sometimes pictures can dispel notions of bias in, you know, a statement or an essay or something like that. However, cautionary note, particularly when it comes to war zones, is we have come to learn that a lot of them use doctored photographs, photoshopped and otherwise. You see this particularly, by the way, in the Middle East particularly in the Middle yeah. East, and they, and they create a great deal of fodder. So, yes, you're right. Did you watch, did you watch uh, Zelensky's uh, presentation to the, uh, to the, uh, to the joint uh, session today? Yes, I did. That video, I do have to say, it, you know, I, I, I've always been on Ukraine's side here, but I have to say it did move me a couple devi- standard deviations further on their side. I have to tell you, it was, it was compelling, I thought. I don't know what you thought. I thought the same, and those were stunning pictures. Yeah. And it, it's hard to fake. I, I'm a trauma doctor. It's hard to fake that kind of pictures. And when we have corroboration of that from members of both liberal and conservative media with similar photographs of bombs hitting apartment buildings, it's hard to walk away from that and say there isn't something wrong here. No, that's right. And and I guess for those that may not have seen it, Mike, maybe you can supplement my description if I if I don't get it quite right. But my memory from this morning watching it was Zelensky had shown um, what might have been, you know, very well might have been, you know, tourist advertising of beautiful cities in Ukraine. And that's fine if it was. It doesn't matter. It, it, I think it was it was accurate or it looked it at least beautiful cities. And then those same cities looking like it was Gaza shelling Israel or something. I mean, it, it just looked awful. It looked awful seeing these beautiful, beautiful, pristine, developed, modern, commercial, 
vistas and cities being shelled. I mean, that's what we saw. That's what we saw, right? Well, yeah, and I, I think also what you, you're seeing right now is Stalin is – or not Stalin, Putin has, has upped, upped the ante by bringing in the uh, Spassnets or whatever their special forces, forces are called. But they're just really ruthless, and, I mean, they're really akin to uh, the SS. Well, yes, it's an indiscriminate use of violence, which has been banned, as far as I can tell, by every by every tribunal that's ever existed on these things. Right. I mean, that that that, that's what that's what we're looking at here. Uh, We're looking at a leader in Russia who is um, either himself unhinged or deploying deploying a, a strategy that is unmoored to anything the West is familiar with when it comes to fighting a war. I mean, civilian populations are being targeted. That's what we're talking about. I mean, everyone is saying, well, you know, they've been part of Russia. Well, so was Alaska. Yeah, I, yeah. I, look, that? That, look, that all ended a while ago, and they signed treaties on this. Russia is a, is, yeah. is, is a signatory to a 1994 treaty on this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we went through that. I remember debating in college the Iraq-Kuwait thing. I mean, there are very few examples of truly just wars and I remember some of the people I were debating were showing up, man, well, Kuwait was once part of Iraq. Yes, and I can show you maps where Iraq didn't exist either once upon a time. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right? I don't think it yeah. does. Yeah, I mean, Israel didn't exist. Israel didn't exist until 1948 before, uh, uh, prior to the 2,000 years before that, right? Well, most of the people who existed uh, in most countries are either extinct, speak a different language, yeah, yeah, yeah. or have different borders. Yeah, I have, I have very little patience, I, as I assume you do. I, I'm on your side here. I, I have very little patience for that argument. Very little patience for it. Yeah. I mean, what's, ta- what's, ta- what's, what's Taiwan's history, you know? Exactly. Well, yeah. actually, if you want to be on that, yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. I, I, I thought Taiwan I knew you would go there the moment it left my mouth. Right, go ahead, you do it. Yeah, Taiwan should be going right. should be taking right. over China. Right, right, right. It China should be the other way around. Exactly, exactly. In fact, that should be the new policy. We should be arming Taiwan so that China fears their invasion. Yeah, I'm with you on. <laughs> right, Mike. Well done. Hey, listen, thank you for your contribution. i got to run. I appreciate you very much, sir. Bye. God bless you. Mike calls. It always sounds like he, he's on his way to, a, to an emergency department uh, and uh, on the road. So I always wish him safe travels. He's, uh, he's great. As we go to break, let me put in a word for my friends, uh, the good people at Balance of Nature, their fruits and veggies, which I take every single day, a blend of 16 uh, whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables, it's a fantastic product. It has kept me well for three years. I usually get sick when the seasons change. Since being on Balance of Nature, taking Balance of Nature, I don't. It's whole food nutrition. It's pure potent plant power. It's 100% natural. Using vine-ripened produce that is third-party tested for everything from bacteria and pesticides to heavy metals. Gluten-free, non-GMO, no added anything. Anything. No sugars, no added anything. You don't need to add anything. It's pure, wonderful veggies and fruit and lots of them the good stuff the potent stuff check them out at balanceofnature.com the fruits and veggies make sure to use discount code balance balanceofnature.com discount code balance we'll be right back Bring. 
Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. It is time for our culture and economy update. We do it every day with John Dombrowski. He is the founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. He is also the host of his own radio show, heard right here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., The Word on Wealth. You can reach John, learn more about uh, Grand Canyon Planning at his website, grandcanyonplanning.com. Grandcanyonplanning.com. How are you, John? Very good. Thank you, Seth. You know, 7 a.m., that's early on a Saturday for a lot of people. Hopefully people... Not for me, not for my dog. (laughs) And now I know not you because I bounce around my walls thinking about who I can talk to. (laughs) Well, I would say this. If you missed the show on Saturday, you could always go to our website, Grand Canyon Planning, and you can listen to it again. There you go. You don't want my 6 a.m. call to do show Uh, prep with you? Perfectly fine. Happy to do that. Okay. Happy to do it. Happy right. to have you on the show. I mean, I can hey. talk to Dagny only so long because, you know, <laughs> the Aristotle language human animal thing. Doesn't doesn't always. Yeah, the responses through. aren't exactly. I don't elicit the responses I always want. All right. The Fed made a move today, John. Tell us yes. what they did and what it means. Do you mind? No, not at all. So, of course, the Fed has been talking about raising rates for quite some time. Now, this is the Fed funds rate. The, you know, this is the money that the... Uh, uh, bank lending rate, this is what the Fed lends money to the banks. This is not a direct correlation to the consumer to bank lending, although it will have an effect on that or short-term interest rates as well. Uh, but generally speaking here, uh, this is a, a reason they're doing this is because they want to slow the economy down because inflation is obviously here, and the belief is is the harder it may be or the higher more expense it is for money, that that may create a little bit of a slowdown in the economy. And uh, the Fed not only made the decision today to raise the rates a quarter point instead of a half, which was discussed maybe at the last Fed meeting, uh, but they also announced that they're going to be raising, at least the expectation is, uh, at the next six meetings. So about another six rate hikes as well between now and the end of the year. So it's certainly going to have an impact. Uh, The question is, Will it have an impact on equities and corporations because money's going to get more expensive? But the market today had an incredible uh, run between yesterday and today on this uh, news that the Fed wrote, you know, gave a quarter point raise. It didn't affect the markets, which is a good sign. I'm not saying it's a bottom, but the the uh, Nasdaq went up about a thousand points over the last couple of days from the bottom to where it's at currently right now. And that's about an eight or nine percent increase in just a couple of days, Seth. That is a big, big number. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, John, uh, on the personal front uh, with what the Fed did, uh, how, yes, the effects on the, on the, on the equities markets, but also individuals, uh, where would they notice this? Mortgages, credit cards? It, it will eventually spread into a, just about everything that we do as consumers. So you will start to feel it throughout every area of your... If you have an adjustable rate mortgage, you'll probably feel it there. If you've got a home equity line of credit, you'll start to begin to feel it there. If you uh, Credit cards may be affected, but, I mean, interest rates are so high on credit cards right now, Seth. Uh, this quarter point is not probably going to affect the credit card interest rates that much. Um, if they do do another six raises over the next uh you know rest of the year here it certainly would be felt felt in areas even in credit cards and so forth so uh it's going to be felt just about in everything we do over time 
John, uh, this and the effect on inflation, I mean, obviously, that's the purpose we're driving at. That's the aim we're going for. Right. Uh, enough enough for us to see that? Well, I don't believe this first interest rate raise is going to really affect it that much. And okay. remember that this is going to be a lagging type of a, uh, of a process, right? You, you make this uh, first adjustment. Uh, inflationary pressures are still here. They're still climbing. Uh, it's going to take some time for all of this to catch up to. I think I may have hit, uh, you may have hit your mute button there, buddy, maybe, possibly. See, uh, yeah, a little there. bit of a receding uh, number on that. Perfect, John. Thank you very, very, very much. All right, you want to you do betcha. your uh, your uh, Al McCoy here, buddy? Sure. Securities and advisory services are with the Glenwood Securities LLC, a member of Finran Sipic and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Glenwood Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you, Seth. Thank you, John Dombrowski. Thanks an awful lot for everything you do. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. As we do every Wednesday, we check in with our Robert Jackson uh, Scholar in Constitutional Studies. He is Brett Johnson, partner at the Snell and Wilmer Law Firm, SWLaw.com. We have uh, had uh, some guests on and we have spoken a lot about the decision last week that overruled something known as uh, Proposition 208 here in Arizona. And uh, it was a delight when I was reading the opinion to see that uh, the attorney of record who uh, argued for the uh, overturning of it was uh, our guest, Brett W. Johnson. No one knows more about this than Brett. First of all, congrats on the victory, Brett, and uh, thank you for joining us again, as always. Tell me and the audience, Brett, first off, uh, what was decided in Proposition 208 and what was decided by John Hanna about 208, if you don't mind. Yeah, no problem. As way of background, uh, for those living in Arizona, you'll appreciate Proposition 208 was on the ballot the last election. It, it did pass by a slim uh, majority, and basically it raised um, high-income earners' uh, tax rate up to three uh, by 3.5 percent, which would have made 8 percent altogether, which would have been one of the highest in the country and, and obviously has ripple effects on small business owners, et cetera. So there was a collection of legislators, ranchers, doctors, other small business owners who came together and said, hey, this isn't right, um, and, and challenged it in court for a variety of reasons. What the Supreme Court decided uh, well over six months ago was that basically 208 um, had a provision in there that allowed it to exceed the cap on what school districts can spend um, every year. And that was put in place back in the 1980s because of out of uh, control school spending. There were no controls. And the electorate um, at that point passed a constitutional amendment um, that put that cap in place. Okay, so that was that was always known. The Proposition 208 proponents um, decided to go for an initiative to change a statute which would raise this tax income and basically exempt it from that constitutional provision. And as many of us learned in civics class, whether in grade school or, or high school, um, a statute just does not trump the, the Constitution, whether it's the state of Arizona or the U.S. Constitution. It, it doesn't matter. A statute has to be subservient to the Constitution. Um, and the Arizona Supreme Court agreed with us six months ago as to that and, and ruled that provision unconstitutional. But there's a second piece 
piece of it that when something is determined to be unconstitutional, it also needs to actually have effect. Um, it's called as applied. And you can have bad law on the books so long as it has no impact. And unfortunately, in our, our American history, there's a lot of uh, um, laws that have well exceeded their tenure on the books, even though they've been struck down by, by a court. Mm-hmm but they've never been actually enforced. Mm -hmm. Well, in this case, the Supreme Court kicked it back to Judge uh, Hanna and made a determination as to whether or not the unconstitutional act, i.e. exceeding the cap level, um, would take effect. And Judge Hanna, after um, taking uh, quite a bit of time um, and and due due deference to him for some of the things he he wrote in his order and we can talk about, um, issued his order on the the last day, which was last Friday, and and determined factually that uh, the unconstitutional act would occur, and that that's uh, then determined that the Proposition 208 in its entirety um, was unconstitutional. Whether or not uh, the proponents appeal, that's that's still debatable. It would be odd to think that they would have a, a, a triable appeal, given where the Supreme Court has already ruled on this and where Judge Hanna is. It seems like it's a decreasingly, uh, a decreasingly successful strategy to continue this litigation from their side. I, I, that would be my perspective. I, you, you can't give advice to the other side, probably. <laughs> but Brett, before I go to the decision itself, as I've tried to explain this to folks, uh, they ask an immediate question that arises from <clears throat> the way I've rendered it and the way you render it as well, which is, wait, are you telling me the state legislature can't increase what we spend on schools? No, that's not what the Arizona Constitution says. There are plenty of ways to do it. Do you want to just uh, fill out that part of it? Absolutely. So uh, under the Arizona Constitution, the legislature, um, um, for for a variety of reasons, up to the legislature, can always raise that cap. Um, and, And so it's not a strict cap is always going to be put in place, and and obviously several times over the last 40 years, the legislature has taken that act. Usually smaller increments, uh, just in the last month, um, the legislature raised um, something the legislature can and does do, um, but on the on the flip side, if Proposition 208 was found to be constitutional, the legislature's hands would have been handcuffed right. as to those future monies right. because of what we call the, the Voter Protection Act, mm-hmm. which says that no initiative can be uh, uh, modified by the legislature unless it's in favor of the proposition or initiative. Further advances and the interest. Further yeah. advances yeah. and, and yeah. two-thirds vote of the of that um, legislature. Yeah. Yeah, you, you and I have been down that road many a time. Yeah. The, uh, Brett Johnson, uh, on the decision itself that Judge Hanna uh, handed down on Friday, there's an interesting part of the decision. I didn't see it coming, but I, I, I think I see it now uh, as I've read it, which is where he gets into, um, I think, the, the section he calls it the court as political actor, which kind of gets into the issue of political question a little bit. Do you want to say that was kind of interesting? You want to say something about that? And, and, and um, you know, Judge Hanna, uh, he brought this up during actually a, a case status conference about certain comments that were made in the legislature. Uh-huh. He actually cited in the order uh-huh. that uh, he was being accused of playing chicken right. with uh, the legislature. Right. And he does do, you know, several pages, about three pages, about the court acting as a political actor and the appropriateness of the court weighing in on these legislative issues. And um, quite honestly, he, he targets what's called severability, mm-hmm. that 
basically if a court can save an initiative, it should do so um, basically because that's the political will of, of the people, the right. people who pass the initiative. Right. Um, but he goes through a, a lengthy analysis as to whether or not it's appropriate for, for the court to take certain actions and really, to be honest with you, takes takes issue with what the Supreme Court did. Um, and and I, if I'm reading between the lines of forcing trial courts to do something that, that he doesn't necessarily think is appropriate. Sure, exactly right. Uh, by the way, Brett, do, um, I have to take a break in a moment. Do you have time for a short further segment after this commercial Absolutely. break? Because I, I, what I, what I was hoping that you could address, if you could, and it's just a small segment on the other side of the upcoming break, what I was hoping you could uh, help us with, because education and education funding are always on people's minds here, um, is does this does this decision does what happened here the entire transpiration of what took place with 208 it does it provide some kind of roadmap for either the legislatures the people future governors the governor now on how to fund education how to increase funding of education is there advice political actors and those invested or interested in education reform take from this could could you maybe address that on the other side i may not ask you to be a political actor (laughs) i guess (laughs) good lawyers can do that yes brett johnson is our guest from the snell and wilmer law firm when we come right back he'll uh he'll explain how uh how 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 we deal with education and education funding going forward which really probably he'll straighten me out if i'm wrong in saying this really probably should have been the way that this went about in the first place rather than via the vehicle of Proposition 208, which just had a lot of problems with it in the first instance. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Brett Johnson from Snow and Wilmer. We will both be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Brett Johnson is our guest. He's a partner with the Snow and Wilmer uh, law firm. Uh, SWlaw.com is the website uh, involved uh, in Proposition 208, argued the case on behalf of the prevailing parties here. Job well done, Brett, and thank you for explaining the contours of that case. Going forward, uh, can we read those contours? Did we get a lesson here uh, from the law on the the way forward to reform education, finance education, uh, spend on education? Is there is there a takeaway from this? on how we should go about funding schools or education in Arizona. Yeah, and it's actually quite simple. Um, use a legislative process. Okay. Um, and that's what and that's what Judge Hanna said. He says the legislature has it very easy to modify um, education spending to meet the needs of Arizona. The initiative process is very difficult. He didn't say, obviously, not to use it, but he, he clearly clearly laid that out. And then in addition to that is, is that if you do decide to use the initiative process, um, keep it simple and, and follow the Constitution. That's, that's, that's this kind of black-letter law. Um, and, then, and then finally is actually engaging in um, good conversation and good policy about, about um, the cap and education funding generally and, and looking at it from all different different pieces. Well, one thing that the proponents of 208 want to do is that they always want to target different buckets, right? Well, that's what and I was going to ask you. Yeah, go ahead yeah. with that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and so there's four buckets of, of 208, um, and, and don't get me wrong, they're very, uh, quote-unquote, sexy, right? Mm-hmm. Teacher, edu- teacher pay, um, you know, enhanced education opportunities, et yeah. cetera. But the, the reality is, is that these school districts are very good at what we call accounting manipulation, where they take it out of one pot to put it into another pot, and then... And, 
and you ha- there's actually 26 different pots, and that is the roadmap. You have to look at all 26 different pots and figure out a system that actually works for the state of Arizona. That's uh, not just the state of Arizona, but actually even local districts, because the rural and urban districts, they do have different issues. There's no dispute about that, but the legislative process is, is the easiest and the best way to resolve these issues. Brett Johnson, thank you. Thank you very, very much. I I, I remember years ago, back when uh, now Justice, but then Attorney Clint Bullock was litigating uh, education uh, reform issues throughout the country. I was reading his stuff on education policy itself. He had become, to my mind, one of the great experts in education policy. And it dawned on me, and as I'm listening to you, you lawyers who get involved in this stuff, you end up knowing more about education policy than most policy wonks. It's kind of interesting uh, along well, the way. You know I bet you've learned a ton, huh? That, that, and quite honestly, if you get the attorneys from the other side and the attorneys on the plaintiff side in this case together in a room, we could probably hatch it out in about 30 minutes. I bet. I bet. <laughs> Brett Johnson, uh, as always, uh, thank you and Godspeed. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. You betcha. I'm Seth Liebson. We will be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.